This is Unfinished Business, a weekly discussion show about the business end of web design and creative industries. The show is hosted by me, Andy Clark, and my fabulous co-host, developer, writer, conference speaker, triple talented Anna Debenham. Hello. We'd like to say thanks to this week's sponsor, that's Hammer for Mac. If you write HTML and CSS, Hammer speeds up your workflow by compiling SAS and CoffeeScript while allowing you to use includes and clever paths and even variables right there in your HTML. We'll talk more about Hammer for Mac later in the show. Topic for this week's show, getting paid. Deposits and down payments, how to get paid regularly, and what you can do if the unthinkable happens, like you have to fight to get your money. I think this is going to be a really good topic to talk about today. Yeah, I've been so excited about this topic all week. You've been busy though. I noticed that you've updated your console browser page on your website. Tell me about that. Oh, I just made it look a bit less ugly. Um, I've just, uh, I'm using Bootstrap now, which is a quite a nice uh, library of uh, front-end code. Um, so it's a bit easier to use now and I've added in uh, Google TV, which I didn't think I was going to do. I didn't think I was going to do research on sort of smart TVs because that's a whole kind of a whole other area. But um, Google sent me one, so I thought, we'll try it out. That was um, nice of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just wrote a little bit about it, did some tests. I, I need to do some more tests on it, um, but I just put up what I had time to do. And hopefully there'll be some more diagrams and things, but it, takes a while to draw the diagrams. Is this something that just you can edit or can other people contribute to this? Other people can contribute to it. I've put it on GitHub. So, yeah, if anyone wants to add stuff to it, I'd be um, I'd be very happy. That looks great. Looks really useful. I've had a busy week. Yeah, what have you been working on? I went to Nottingham to do a workshop at New Adventures. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't stay for the, for the conference, unfortunately, but, uh, but I hear it was really, really good. Yeah, my Twitter timeline was just full of tweets from it. I saw something about Greg and Collie having damaged a piano, <laughs> which I think they now have to pay for. Eek. Might have put the, the dampness on it a little bit. But no, I had a really good time. Sometimes um, you get a really good group of people doing these workshops, and this was one of them. We had lots of people there with, you know, from different backgrounds and everybody seemed to have something to say. You know, there wasn't anybody lurking in the corner that didn't say anything the whole day. It was a really lively group. So I enjoyed that a lot. Sounds great. And you were on a podcast as well. Yeah. Um, I was on the East Wing with Tim Smith earlier on in the week. It was really good. I really enjoyed it. Do you know, I really enjoyed it actually. Um, and it was quite interesting, um, Sue, the designer who works me with, well, who works here with me now, um, she listened to it and she was commenting on the kind of the different dynamic that there was on that show, as you know, to the one that we have on here, and how you know you get two different people talking, you know, even maybe sometimes about the same topic, mm-hmm. but but you know, it's, it generates different kinds of discussions, and I think that's really good. Mm. I, I did like the bit where you're talking about bailiffs. And bring in the dogs. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think we'll talk about that a bit again today. Kind of, yeah. it was, it was tricky because Tim was asking me all of these really good questions, and I wanted to keep talking about them. But in the back <laughs> of my mind, you wanted to save them for this I was show. Thinking we should be talking about about that on our show. Um, so we'll we'll cover some of the same topics I think today, but um, I want to expand on them here. But yeah, that that was fun. That was a lot of fun. Speaking of podcasts. We should get everybody to ignore Paul Boag. <laughs> I mean, I know that he mentioned us kindly on his show this week. What's what's the name of this his show again? I can never rem- remember. Um, I can't remember. No, no, it, it, it escapes me <laughs> again. But yeah, he he mentioned he, us and and unfinished business on on that show, and then said we wouldn't last five minutes. <laughs> Cheeky person. <laughs> that was very nice. We're gonna, I think. As uh, as I was saying to him the other day, I think we've got a lot to talk about. Yeah, there's so many good topics. We're going to be around longer than that. I like the bit where you were saying, "Oh, well, we've done we've done bits about web sort of uh, business in the past. Why don't people just go listen to the old podcast?" <laughs> yeah, I know he's funny. He's funny. We'll get our own back. We'll have our revenge on Paul Berg <laughs> at some point. But we've had some good follow up, I think, from the two that we've done so far. Mm. been some good questions 
Um, a few people have been writing in and talking about guests on the show. And I think it'd be worth spending a couple of minutes just talking about what we think about having people on. Mm-hmm. Because from my point of view, I don't want this show to be similar to so many web design related shows where it's like this week we're going to speak to this person about this topic. Mm. And you kind of, it becomes much more of a kind of an interview thing, which is great. And no disrespect, I love those kind of shows. Um, but I want this to be something slightly different. So I think what we might do, see what you think about this idea, is have guest hosts on when we can't make it for whatever reason. Yeah. I mean, I've got a couple of weeks in April where I'm going to be in Japan doing a couple of workshops. And, yeah, we could probably record a show like the week before and do two and then put one out, which, you know, we could well do. Mm -hmm. But I think it might be nice to use those opportunities to get another fresh voice on for, for a little while. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, just to say it again, everybody can ask questions and suggest topics on Twitter at UnfinishedBiz. And uh, we've got emails now too, again. So you can email me at hehasunfinished.bz and you at shehasunfinished.bz. <laughs> and you can get both of us at um, they have at unfinished.bz. So if you've got a comment or a suggestion or something like that, then that's the way to get in touch with us. Um, Cole Hendley sent me a tweet uh, earlier on. Um, just it, basically uh, following up from what we are talking about last week about um, rates and how you calculate your rate and what you have to bear in mind when you're working out what you want your income to be. And he's put together a really useful freelance tax relief tool for people that work from home, freelancers, etc., uh, it's UK only, but even if you're from outside the UK, I think it's really useful just to kind of make a note of all the things that you have to pay for. So that looks like a really useful tool, and we'll put a link in the show notes of that. Cool. Right, who's the sponsor for this week? This week, our sponsor is Hammer for Mac. Hammer for Mac is a fabulous app from the folks at Riot. It's for people who write HTML. So what does Hammer do? Hammer compiles SAS and CoffeeScript too. I know there are a lot of ways of doing that, but Hammer's only just getting started. And the way it works is that Hammer takes your production files and it compiles them into a build folder inside your project. You keep development files clean by using HTML includes. Um, they're a bit like PHP includes, but with HTML. Hammer has clever paths built into it too, so you never have to write a full path to an image, script or style sheet, just the file name. Hammer finds those files automatically, and when it compiles it, it writes a full path into your HTML pages. It's amazing, and I really love it, and I've tried it out when it was in beta, and it's come such a long way. There's a free trial available, but seriously, if you write HTML, pony up for a full copy. It's only $16.99 in pounds or $23.99 in dollars in the Mac App Store. To find out more, go to hammerformac.com forward slash unfinished. I love Hammer so much. <laughs> we could make the whole show about Hammer. But I'll just tell you about this thing that I'm working on at the moment. We've got our new designer starting. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to do is I want to make it really easy for her to design in code without having to learn too much about writing code. Mm-hmm. So I'm starting to put together this kind of, I don't know, call it project library which has got, you know, all of the HTML elements that you're going to likely use on a page. Mm-hmm. And a little bit like Bootstrap, but really slim down to just the stuff that you're going to use. There's so much in Bootstrap. Um, but I just wanted to make it a lot simpler and build it in such a way that I could use things like the HTML includes. Mm-hmm. And for her not to have to worry about where images had to be saved in folders and stuff like that, which is mm-hmm. obviously what Hammer's really good at. So I've been building this project library. I'm calling it Rockhammer. And I wrote about this thing on the blog a while back. You can actually hack the Hammer app. I think that the guys at Riot, they're going to be finding an easier way to do this. But you can actually customize. When you go to a new project, you can customize the files that it uses. Mm-hmm. Kind of the, like the default folders that it starts with. Mm-hmm. And I want that to be this Rockhammer um, library that I'm using. Oh, I see. So you can kind of um, call in different bits. Yeah, exactly. So you just go file new project and boom, all of the stuff is there, ready just to start you know, dragging and dropping into templates. So you, know, you, you kind of have basic layout structures. And then 
she and I will just be able to go, okay, well, we want one of those and we want one of those and we want one of those and just pull in different types of navigation or tabs and something like that. And uh, Hammer's just making that so easy. I guess you could use pre-existing libraries as well, things like uh, the Responsive Patterns library. Building some of that stuff in, actually, you know, and you get the different navigation options for whether it slides in from the top or slides in from the left, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm kind of, it's a bit of a Frankenstein's uh, monster of different things from different libraries. But it's the stuff that I use every day rather than just, you know, bringing in things that, you know, I'm likely not going to need. Yeah. Sounds good. Are you going to put it on GitHub? I am going to put it on GitHub. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to take a little while. It might be another month or something. I need to find somebody that's going to help me with the JavaScript side of it. Because mm-hmm. I don't want to plug in jQuery. Yeah. You know, for the few things that generally I will put onto a site, um, I don't necessarily want to be dependent on a full library. Makes sense. So, you know, tabs and accordions and fades and smooth scrolling, that kind of stuff. I'm sure that I could get somebody to write a little JavaScript, native JavaScript file that would be a heck of a lot smaller than pulling in, what is it, 40Ks worth of jQuery. Mm. So it could take a little while, but yeah, I'm going to get that up on GitHub. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, no, it's cool. Let's talk about getting paid. This is tricky for a lot of people. It's one of those really awkward things that people don't often like to talk about. So... What's your experience? Have you have you ever been really badly let down or had trouble in this area? Because I know I have. Um, it was mainly when I started out. I was just really bad at sending invoices, and because I didn't have a contract as well, I was when it came to not when I wasn't paid. It was kind of it was awkward because I hadn't come with any agreement to sort of what the payment terms were and what would happen if if people like if if people didn't pay me on time. Uh, so I remember you, you were talking about on the East Wing about whether you charge interest for um, sort of late payments, and that wasn't something I realised that I w- I could do. So it's it's got a lot better since I started doing contracts and being better at sending invoices, um, and also the way that I've written my invoices, I think is is a lot better than it used to be. Uh, how about you? What what sort of uh, What's been your experience? We've we've not done badly over the years, actually. I mean, we've had, like everybody else, I suppose, we've had good people and bad people um, and good experiences and bad experiences. But on the whole, we've actually done okay. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned over the years is that it's generally because we find things, we find talking about money uncomfortable. Yeah. And we don't have good conversations with clients, easy conversations with clients sometimes about the money side of things. That's where the trouble comes in. And I suppose like, like everything else, um, it comes down to good communication. Um, but yeah, we've, we, we've done okay over the years. Um, we've written bad debt off like everybody else, mm-hmm. but we've never been majorly stung which, thankfully, yeah, I'm happy about that. Yeah. I think that there's, there's a couple of, um, couple of areas where you need to get paid. Obviously, a couple of parts within a project, that areas within a project that you need to get paid on. Um, the first one has got to be the big dis- – well, one decision. Do you charge a deposit? Yeah. Do you do this all the time now? Yeah. Every job? Um, if, it depends if it's a contract. If it's one that um, it's like a big organisation, often I'll ask for a deposit, and they say we don't do that. Um, that can be that can be difficult to negotiate. But for every kind of every other project, I do charge a deposit. Every freelance project. Yeah. Do you charge a deposit for people that you've worked with before? Yes. People, okay, so even people that you've worked with before and they're reliable and you got on really well and they paid you on time and you've wanted to work with them again, you'll charge a deposit the second time. Yeah, I mean, it's really rare that that I do those sorts of projects now, but it used to be that I'd be doing a kind of, you know, a, a project with a, with a start and a finish date and I'd be able to cost up, well, it's going to take me this many days um, and then I'd know sort of what 50% 
of the project fee was and I could charge that. Uh, but these days I'm doing more contract work and it kind of it doesn't really work that way. Because some people have said to me in the past, you know, OK, the deposit is kind of like a, a getting to know you thing. Yeah. Do you have the money um, and, you know, are you going to pay me within a good time of receiving my deposit invoice? It's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a handshake. Um, but if you already know somebody and you've already worked with them before, is there any point in having that handshake again? And I think, in my mind anyway, and we do this, absolutely, you should charge a deposit again for every piece of work that you do. Yeah. And uh, I guess um, I'd charge a lower deposit if it's someone I've worked with before, but I do do still charge a deposit. I mean, I think that it's not about the handshake necessarily at that point. It's, it's about commitment. Mm. You know, it's commitment from their side. Um, you know, you're committing something when you agree to do a piece of work, you're committing to something and them writing a check, paying into your bank, whatever, paying, paying the deposit is one way that they are showing their commitment to you. And that has to keep going on. Yeah. And I found that it it really helps to focus people's minds that, yeah, this thing's a reality. We're going to start working on this project now. And that means that they realize that they have to commit their resources to help you do the job properly. Mm. Um, and it's a big reminder, you know, when it's a chunk of money, people, people really see that and it really does help to, to focus them. I think the, the biggest problems that I see people have when they're not being paid, you know, they'll say, Oh, I'm you know, seven grand out of pocket. That worries me because it's like, how did you know that they were going to pay that in the first place? How did you know that they'd, they'd have that money available and if you're if you're that far if it's taken you that long to get paid surely there came a point where you thought hmm maybe i should stop working until um my invoices have been paid now that's an interesting point actually do you ever or do you know of any other people that will do like a financial check on a client before you start work before you agree to do it oh i've not I've not come across that, no, do you? No, I, we don't do it either, but I've heard of people that do. Because, you know, are, are you who you say you are? Mm. Um, I mean, I suppose it's no guarantee, is it, even if somebody's a reliable company and, you know, they've been around for a while, it's no guarantee that, that you're going to get paid. <laughs> but, yeah, I do know, I do know people that, that will run a financial check. It's not something we've ever done. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's kind of strange. I hadn't thought of doing that. The other thing that, that I realised, um, the busier that we get and the longer lead time between, you know, now and when we could potentially start a new job, you know, it could be eight, 12 weeks out. Um, you know, we're saying to a client, yeah, we can start that thing and we're going to start that thing, let's say, in the middle of April. Mm. And I want to, I want to charge my deposit now. So that you can book that time. So that we can book that time, exactly, because there's nothing worse than, you know, getting to one or two weeks before you were supposed to start that project and then saying, ah, yeah, well, you know, we've got some problems at our end or something's happened that means that, you know, we're not going to be able to start. Yeah, or they'll keep stringing you along and saying, oh, we'll start next week. No, actually, we'll start the week after that. So you that was That was, um, I think someone emailed us last week about that saying that, they had a client who was just kind of stringing them along saying, you know, that they'd booked some time to work on the site and then it would come to that week and they had nothing to work on. I think that in that particular case, then you're using the deposit like a booking fee. Yeah. And, you know, if you booked a clown for your children's party, you'd be, you'd be paying a deposit. <laughs> so I don't think that web designers, not that we're clowns, but well, some of us might be. Some of us. <laughs> but, uh, I don't think we're any different. So I think it's perfectly reasonable, perfectly reasonable to charge a deposit um, for all those kind of reasons. Have you ever had clients say um, that they don't want to pay a deposit? Only in circumstances where we've put other payment terms in in place. Right. Um, For example, we're working on on a contract at the moment where when it came to putting the quotation, the estimate together, uh, and on our documentation was, you know, the deposit that we wanted to be charged. They came back and they said, look, all of our procurement, 
all of our buying happens to be done through uh, a third-party procurement company. Right. And they run this kind of what they call self-billing service. So once you've got all your paperwork signed up, um, at the end of each week, you kind of fill in an electronic timesheet. That gets signed off by the client, and you literally get get a payment into your bank within like two days. So we're only ever nine days out of pocket on that. That can be tricky sometimes if you're working, if your client isn't the one kind of paying the bills, if it's someone else. That can be difficult. Say say you don't get paid for, um, you know, there's a problem with the with the account or, and and you're you're telling them, look, I I can't I can't do any more work for you until this invoice is paid, and they're saying, well, it's not me, it's the payment company, it's their problem. Um, I found that can be difficult sometimes. Yeah, I wouldn't do it unless it's a big company. Yeah. You know, or you know, a government agency or something like that, um, where you know that ultimately they're going to be reliable. Um, but it is tricky. You're right. Um, when people go, oh, well, the guy that's backing me or the funding that I'm getting hasn't come through yet. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Options for charging a deposit then are, well, you just don't charge one. <laughs> that's the first thing. And we keep mentioning to Cole Hendley again, um, his freelance rate survey that he put out um and one of the things that he found when doing that survey i can't believe this 47 percent of people that replied to that survey do not charge a deposit can you believe that mm. I'm, yeah. I'm i'm sorry if, if you don't charge a deposit for a, you know what can be a substantial piece of work and a substantial chunk of time you are a moron can I say it any plainer than that? You need your head testing if you don't charge a deposit. Because where's the commitment? You just, you're not starting off the relationship in any good way there. Um, it's, not a, it's not a balanced relationship at that point. You know, you, you're starting off from a position of, of weakness. Not that, you know, client relationships are, you know, battles, not wrestling matches. But... There has to be a certain amount of equity and a certain amount of balance. And there's so much more than just the money side of things wrapped up in charging a deposit. And you're mad. Mad not to charge something up front. It's like you said before about um, time. You're you're putting aside your time to do that. And it can be, depending on what your billing cycle is, it can be maybe 60 days before you see that money. Yeah. You, you're just putting yourself at risk. I mean, particularly when, um, as freelancers or people that run their own small businesses, um, you, you're putting yourself at risk. You're putting your destiny, uh, your livelihood, in the hands of somebody else. Um, and you're increasing your exposure to risk if you don't charge a deposit. It's, I cannot understand it. We've had people that, you know, we've been due to start a project and, you know, it'll be the Friday and Sue, my wife, who does all of our financial stuff, she'll be phoning the client up going, um, you know, we're starting on Monday. Mm. <laughs> we, yeah, we're not going to start unless, unless unless we receive the money. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, then there's a flutter of activity and you'll get paid that same afternoon. Yeah. So, Or they'll say, well, actually... We don't want to do this at all. Well, um, that's why we found it much better to... It's much better, actually, that we work kind of longer term mm-hmm. so that, you know, we might be receiving our deposit two, three months in advance. Yeah. And I think it's better to to have a client say, before you start work, no, actually, we're not prepared to pay a deposit because it's possible that they didn't have that money in the first place. Yeah. And you'd be, you know, entering into a contract, doing work for them, and then waiting weeks to get paid, if at all. Okay, so that, th- this um, is where... And then where... they say, actually, we, we, we're waiting for some funding. This is where I start going on a major rant as well, because <laughs> it's not only yourself that you have to think about. I mean, sure, you know, if you're working for yourself, you've probably got dependents. You, you, you need to be able to go to the supermarket and, and feed yourself. Mm. But, and, you know, you might have dependents, personal dependents, that are obviously relying on that. So, you know, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be putting them at risk. But the other thing is, is that often... We're responsible for other people, staff, uh, either permanent staff or contractors. 
Mm. And I mentioned this a little bit on uh, on the East Wing podcast this week. One of the, my biggest, biggest bugbears is people that hire contractors and then don't pay them immediately or leave yeah. them hanging in the wind. That I have had, and it's not nice. I've got experience with some friends of mine who um, have done a job for people that, you know, that, that we know um, on, you know, friend basis. So, of course, you know, somebody that you know comes along and says, will you do, a, will you do some work for me? And you go, sure, yeah, we can do that. And it's friendly. And mm-hmm. there's, no, there's no deposit charged often. And there's no contract in place. And, you know, it gets to the end of the job. Somebody might have committed a few weeks' work. And it can tot up, you know, it can be, you know, four, five, six, six thousand pounds, more, whatever. And it comes to the subcontractor finishing the job and saying, you know, that's great. I'm handing this stuff over. Can I be paid now? And the guy that does the hiring going, yeah, well, actually, we don't have the money in to pay you Mm. because we haven't been paid yet by the client. And that's an absolutely despicable thing to do. Yeah. And you you also can't trust them to be as good as you are at, at sort of pestering the client when, when you're not being paid? Well, if you hire me to do a job for a client, and no, if I hire you to do a job for a client, right, and, um, and you obviously want to be paid when you finish doing your console testing or development or whatever it is that you've done for me, and I turn around and go, well, actually, yeah, we haven't been paid by our client yet. Well, that's not your business. Yeah. Did you yeah. know that when, when we were entering into the arrangement? No, of course you didn't. So... I find it completely despicable. And, you know, if you haven't got the money sitting there ring-fenced to pay somebody when they've done the work, don't hire them. Mm. And when it comes to it, even if you haven't got the money in your business to pay the guy, well, don't pay yourself that month. Yeah. Go get a bank loan. Sell your car. Default on your mortgage. Do something. Not, you know, not carry on like life is rosy. And leave somebody hanging in the wind. It's, it's, it's a really horrible thing for, to do. So how would, you, how would you stop that situation from happening if you were from um, the person being hired point of view? Well, first of all, as far as stuff and nonsense is concerned, we pay our contractors either in advance now, mm-hmm. so we work out an agreed um, in advance payment and we pay you up front, or we pay you by return. So if you email or, you know, a PayPal um, invoice or a free agent invoice or something like that. We pay it literally by return. Mm. So, you know, you'll be paid within half an hour. Yeah. Um, and we're in the position to do that because we charge deposits because we have money coming in for projects that aren't starting for a while, mm-hmm. which means that generally speaking, we are cash rich. You know, we have a positive cash flow position. Um, so we're able to do that. And that's got to be the way that got to be the way to do it. And what if you were in the, the person doing the work for for stuff and nonsense? If you were, um, let's say, you were the you were the contractor working for working as a subcontractor, how would you how would you make sure that the person you're working under is doing their job and is going to pay you? Would you, you charge a deposit? Yeah, you've got to get a down payment at the beginning. And I think, yeah. as far as contractors go, there should be regular payments. Yeah, even if it's your friend. Yeah, even if yeah. it's your friend. And you know what? If it's your friend, the conversations become more difficult. Mm. You know, you never want to actually kind of open up or, you know, and say, actually, we have a problem here. I really need the money. You're not paying yeah. me. It, 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 makes a, it makes it several times harder. But, yeah. yeah, regular payments and deposits as far as contractors are concerned. What do you do in terms of percentages then? Because, I mean, the next... The next option is to charge a percentage of what you think the total job's going to be, which is, mm. I know, what a lot of people do. Um, I tend to charge 50%, but um, sometimes on some projects I'll charge 25%, but I'll do that again once I've done that work, so right. I'll charge another 25%. Um, and I also do something that Sarah Parmenter does uh, where she basically she asks for the full amount to be paid before she puts a site live. Right. And I think that's a really good idea because it means that there's an incentive for, for them to pay you quickly. Um, and it also means that then, you know, once they put the site live, they're not like, oh, bye. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is this is what a lot of people do, I know, is they'll charge 
what, 25, 30%, 50% up front. Mm. Um, and then the next question is how best to get the balance. Cause I know, and we used to do this. We did this for years. We used to charge 25%, then 30, then 50. We kind of yeah. increased it over the years, but we always had that kind of famous thing. Usual thing, uh, balance on completion. Yeah. Um, and often our idea of when something was complete was different from the client's <laughs> idea. Yeah. Um, that always happens. I find. And, you know, sometimes you could be working on something for a long period of time, having only charged a small percentage. You know, if you're charging 25%, you know, you might have ended up doing 90% of the work. You've yeah. done the design, you've done the, uh, the technical development, you've done the CMS integration or whatever it is. Um, and all you're waiting for is, is the client to come up with some content. Yeah. Used to have this. And that can take months. I know. And there you go. You know, you've got, you know, you've been paid, you've done 75% of the work or, or more, and yet you've only been paid 25% of the, of the money. Mm. Um, and then you are really waiting, which is where I would probably disagree with Sarah's, um, not be not putting the site life thing because they could just leave it hanging for as long as they wanted. Yeah, I mean, unless they've got a deadline that they really want to meet. Yeah, no, there is that. I mean, what I've what we switched to um, a while back. We don't do this anymore, but it's like our medium point was a deposit of fifty percent and then incremental billing. Hmm. So we would want, for example. Um, 50% as a deposit and then another 25% on 30 days and then another 20% on 60 days for longer projects. Right. I see. So by the end of it, you were only ever, you know, maybe five or 10% exposed. Mm. And that seems very fair. Yeah. And then it's kind of time limited too, because you know, they can drag their heels if they want to, they can, take as long as they like to, to come back with content or whatever else it is that they need to finish. Um, but you know, you've got regular billing periods. So at, at 60 days, you're only 10%, you're only 10% down. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So we did that for a while. Um, and that was before we switched over onto doing weekly billing, which we do now. Cause now we, I've talked about this before we, we break all of our projects down into, agile scrum style weekly mm. sprints yeah and we bill a week in advance for each block of work and that's worked out really 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 well for us so we'll bill one week and then we'll start the following week and then at the end of that week we'll obviously have accomplished what we needed to do week one and we're billing for week two and uh, what are your invoice terms is it pound receipt or 14 days, 30 days? Uh, on, on receipt. Yeah. Yeah, on receipt of invoice. Um, and sometimes, you know, sometimes you get somebody that will take a little bit longer, but as long as you keep the communication going, that that's rarely a problem. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Yeah. But this whole kind of weekly organising thing has, has worked out really, really well for us. Um, and it means that our cash flow has just, I mean, improved massively. Yeah. I think it, it, getting getting paid weekly is it just helps so much because then as soon as an invoice doesn't get paid, you know that you've only got sort of seven days to worry about that. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense, and and I think I think it's fair. And if, if you're working hard and you're demonstrating to the client that you know, yeah, we're doing everything that we set out to do, if the relationship's a good one, there's no reason for them not to pay. I mean, you know, back in to old days when people used to have, you know, accounts departments that did everything manually on paper, mm-hmm. you know, they'd get an invoice in and, you know, somebody would have to enter that into the, the purchase ledger <laughs> and then they'd have to do all the bank stuff. And then they'd have, remember people would say that our check run isn't till next week, you know, where mm-hmm. they'd print Afraid off. I don't remember that. You don't remember that. <laughs> it used to be this, used to do this, have this all the time where um, people would issue checks like once a month or, you know, once or twice a month. Mm. Um, so they'd say, you know, no, we're not issuing checks until next week. There would be this kind of long period between the possibility of you sending in your invoice and being paid. And a lot of that was to, cause, because of this manual process. Yeah. Now, and that's where the whole 30-day thing came from. 
Yeah. It used to take kind of 30 days uh, to do that work. Uh, now, of course, it shouldn't take that long at all. You know, you can get an invoice in, it's electronic, you can click on a couple of buttons and send a payment through your bank. So I don't see any reason why you shouldn't be paid within one or two days, even with big companies. So how, how do you cope with big companies that have these kind of, because um, most of the big companies I've worked for have this kind of 30-day system where you invoice them and they will pay it th- exactly 30 days later. Do you kind of, do you have to negotiate with them or do you just say, well, for them, I'll, I'll do that? Uh, it really depends on the, on the customer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you're not going to move a massive battleship company. Yeah. They're not going to yeah. make an exception for a little company like us. Exactly. Um, but those are rarely the companies where you're going to have a problem. Yeah. I mean, it might be 30 days, it might be 35 days, but you know you're going to get paid. Um, but charging a deposit up front in that point really helps. And I, and I don't have any problem ever with that. Even with the big companies? Even with big companies. Hmm. What do you do about um, things that you need to buy? Because another reason why we charge regularly and we charge deposits is so we've got money in the bank to be able to buy things that we need for a client. So things like fonts, uh, servers. Yeah, type kit licenses, uh, licenses for, for fonts and images and software or whatever that, is particular, yeah, CMS software, yeah. stuff like that. Oh, well, all the time I just, I ask the client to, to order that uh, because that way then I don't have to sort of pay up front. Um, I don't have to, to pay for something, then wait for them to pay me back. Um, and it's also, it make, I, I can make sure that the license is in their name. I don't have to kind of go in and, and set things up differently. I just ask them to, you know, buy a license for something or, or get a server set up. Uh, and that I've never had a problem with that. I think that's so much better idea. We, we used to do the thing where we would do the hosting for the client and, mm. you know, we'd go ahead and buy the licenses and, and things like that. And, you know, sure, you can sometimes make a profit on that stuff, but it's pennies on the pound. Yeah. And it's just not worth the admin. Yeah. So, you know, we've spent the last couple of years trying to dump people's domain names and yeah. give them back and, um, you know, switch people over to having their own servers that they pay for. I used to do the whole hosting thing. Um, I, I never charged sort of on top of the hosting because I'd always say, I don't manage it. You have to get in touch with the hosting company if there's a problem. I just do the, I just, you know, set it up. Um, and sort of pay on your behalf every every year uh but it just got it just got too complicated and i was sort of emailing old clients and saying do you still want this hosting and maybe they wouldn't get back to me and i'd be wondering whether to to renew it um so i just decided that's it you know i i will ask the client to to get the server set up and just send me the details um and that way that i don't have to worry about having my credit card details in there and maybe Maybe the the site goes down, and uh, because I haven't renewed it, I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, we used to do the whole hosting thing. Um, it's just not worth it anymore. It's a mugs game, I think. Hosting. Mm. I had so many sort of times when the email would go down, and I wouldn't know what to do. Um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd email the hosting company, and maybe they wouldn't get back to me, and it was just frustrating. Um, and I wanted to just spend more time doing the work that I enjoy doing. Well, that's it, isn't it? It's having the time to be able to focus on what you're good at. Exactly. And not have to chase around on microscopic little bits of business like that that take you away from doing the good stuff. Yeah. So we talked about charging a deposit at the beginning and maybe regular payments all the way through, um, as opposed to really weighting it towards the other side where... You know, you charge a small amount at the beginning, but your big chunk of income is going to come at the end of the project. Um, that, that, for me, always seems to um, lead to a cycle of kind of feast and famine, in a way. Yeah. Where, you know, you'll get your big, you'll get your big payment after a period of time, and then you won't have anything more than just kind of drips for a while, while you work on something else, and then you get your next big spike of income again. 
I think that another reason that that's difficult, um, basically banks don't like that. They, they don't like it when people have irregular income. Um, and something that I found, like I was looking for somewhere to rent earlier uh, last year and all the estate agents wanted to see my accounts. And it, it, it looks bad if there's a, like a whole three months or something without anything going through. And then suddenly, you know, suddenly a lot of money. It, it just, it, it's better to have regular cash flow. Banks prefer that if they're lending you money, say for a mortgage. Um, and it's something that they look at as well. Uh, they'll, they'll look at sort of how much you've got on your account um, every month and whether that's kind of regular. We had this here for a while. Um, where we'd be working on things and then you'd get your big chunk of money in. Hmm. And then, you know, two or three months might have gone by um, before you get your next big chunk in. And, you know, we never we never went into the red. Um, yeah. Stuff's never, never borrowed a penny. Um, but you would have these kind of periods of, of feast and famine. Um, and it's so scary, that bit before you get you get that big chunk of money. Well, what we realised... Worrying about, well, are they actually going to pay that bill? This is the problem because you're really exposing yourself to potential danger because if you're relying on that great big chunk of money coming in in two or three months' time, and then for whatever reason, whether it's something to do with you and the things that you've done or not done, um, or them and the things that they should have done, if something puts that big payment at risk... You can, you're really exposed. Mm. And immediately at that point, you're, you know, you're on the defensive. Yeah. Um, and I find, and I, I know from talking to other people, that if you get into that situation and you start having to think about the financial side of the business and how do we cope over the next few months until this money gets paid, um, again, it's taking you and your energy away from doing the stuff that you're good at. Yeah. And it's actually taking you away from doing the stuff that earns you the money in the first place. That reminds me of um, another thing that that I try to do and that I know a lot of other freelancers and even agencies do, um, is to always have basically two to three months' worth of income in a in a different bank account that you don't touch so that if the worst comes to the worst... You've you've got you know you're okay for the next three months, and that that includes you know if you, say you didn't get any work for for three months, that you'd still be able to pay the bills. I wrote about this on the blog actually not too long ago because uh, I'd been emailed by a guy asking about you know often the, the kind of familiar how do I go freelance questions, mm. um, and my advice was to build a financial buffer. I mean, in yeah. this particular case, it was, you know, before you quit your day job, make sure you've got three months worth of income. You know, three months worth of money sitting there just in case for yeah. whatever reason the phone doesn't ring and the email doesn't click and you, and you don't get any money. You don't get any work. Um, and what we did was we started off with that kind of three month, uh, three months worth of buffer and worked really 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 hard without spending any money on anything non-essential mm. um so that we could build up that buffer to six months and yeah. ultimately to 12 months i mean we try it, sometimes we dip into it but we try to have 12 months worth of income yeah so that you know if i was foolish enough to go out running in the snow <laughs> and i break my my mousing arm um we we wouldn't have to worry too much. Yeah. Um, so that yeah, yeah, that's a really important point. And and the plus side to that as well is um, it means that you don't take on work that you're desperate for. So it, you know, if the phone doesn't ring for a month and you're suddenly you're completely stuck, you don't have any money. Uh, you don't just go for the next project that comes along that might not be suitable or you know might not be a good client, good fit. It means that you're a lot more laid back about what sort of work that you will take. That's really good advice, actually, because I still suffer from that hungry freelancer syndrome. Mm-hmm. You know, I look, I look forward and think, blimey, are we going to have any work in September? Because I'm not booked that far ahead. Mm. And you think, oh, blimey, you know, I'm not, I'm, I may not have it. And, and, you know, it's a constant worry. Yeah. But having that buffer and, get, and feeding that buffer with 
deposits and minimizing your exposure is absolutely the way to go. Mm. Um, and it, it's just so much less stressful. Yeah, it helps you sleep at night as well. Definitely. So psychologically, just a nice thing to have. Let's talk about how you might handle bad debts. You know, if the thing happens that nobody wants to think about and for whatever reason you're not going to get paid when you thought you were going to get paid, how, how would you handle that? Mm. Um, I think you've got a lot more experience with this than I do. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, we've, we've, we've had bad experiences as well as, as good ones. Um, and how, what I learned through dealing with all of that stuff is that it's how you handle it, which is important and how you try to maintain the relationship with the client, um, that matters too. Cause some people have very, very legitimate reasons for not paying you. We worked on a, a project a few years ago with a really nice guy and I'd work again with him tomorrow. Um, and it was one of these projects that was funded by angel investors. Mm. So we were partway through the project and all of a sudden, you know, he gets on the phone and says, I'm really, really sorry, but for one reason or another, I'm not going to get this funding now. Well, we completed the job because what are you going to do? Yeah. You know, I wanted, I wanted to see this thing successful as much as he did. So we finished off the job. And we kept the communication going and got paid nine months later. Hmm. I mean, you know, half of my head had kind of written it off. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to ask you, actually. Because um, I can think of lots of situations where a client said, I don't have the money to pay you until the project gets done. Like, they'll add some requirements on, or they'll say halfway through the project, um, we don't have the money to pay you. Well, the thing is, it's about, it's about relationships. And if you can trust in that relationship and you've got a good and rough relationship as we had with that client, then you can work out a way so that it's, it's going to work out well for everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, if the relationship breaks down, that's when you have a problem. Yeah. And by that, I don't mean you doing everything possible and not getting anything back. You know, relationships are two ways. It takes two to tango. And a good relationship means that they're taking care of you as much as you're taking care of them. Yeah. So, yeah, if extra requirements come in and things keep getting tacked on, you should be able to talk about this stuff. You should be able to to talk about it, you know, on a really friendly way. So yeah. that, you know, so, so that it is, a, it, it is much more of a partnership rather than a kind of a client-vendor relationship. But yeah. keep, keeping that... Keeping that going is really, really, really important. Because, and keeping talking too. I mean, we talked to that particular client at least every couple of weeks mm. o over that nine months. And, you know, we were asking him how things were going. And, um, you know, over that kind of period of time, you can build up a good relationship with somebody. Mm. And it puts a human face on things. That's important. When somebody knows how much that money means to you and what effect it might have, then they're way less likely to, to stitch you up. Hmm. Put, put, putting a human face on things is, is really, really important. Keeping that communication open too. Did you ever see my debt collection email that I, that I published? No, but I heard you read it out. Yeah. Um, I should, East Wing. I should do that here, actually, as well. This was going back, um, I don't know, three years, I suppose. 2009 it was when this happened. And we'd been working with a, with a client on a fairly long-term basis. And he'd always been a great payer. And there was some extra stuff that we did. And it was one of those things where, you know, you've got an invoice, which was it wasn't an insignificant amount of money, but, you know, it wasn't a huge chunk. Mm. And just communication just dried up. You know, it's like you get that kind of deafening silence yeah. when, um, when people aren't responding to emails. And I wrote this email, which um, I sent to him. And, well, I'll, I'll read it to you here. Um, Hi, a quick note just to say that I'm really disappointed that you've not paid me the amount that I'm owed for the work that I did for you. In the grand scheme of things, it's not a lot of money. But I think this, this is much more a matter of respect. I've always been there for you at the drop of a hat to sort out any problems you might have. 
I love working with you and I've always taken our relationship to be more than just client supplier. But if I can't rely on you paying promptly or it takes several attempts or reminders to get my money, that's not good business. I'm not saying I don't want to work for you. I do. But if I don't receive what I'm owed within the next couple of days, I'll have to think twice about helping you in the future. Kind regards. Mm. And I got paid within like the same day. That's great. Um, I really like that email. And I think that you know you shouldn't send something out in exactly those words. Um, you know, you should rewrite something and put it in your own own phraseology. But having something which is written from that point of view, to me, is much more effective and much more human and puts a different slant on things than if you send somebody something that looks like it's been written by a solicitor. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because at that point, you just put somebody's back up. And it's, it's really not easy, though. Nobody likes to have those conversations. It's the, worst thing in the mo- it's worst thing in the world where you wake up in the morning and you think, oh, you're looking for a check or you're, looking for, you're checking your online banking. And it's like, oh, no, I, have, I need to have that conversation with him again. Yeah, that reminds me, actually. Um, so I use free agent and that when you send out an invoice, you can have the option of it sending a reminder if the invoice goes unpaid. And I quite like that because... Um, so I put a little message in saying this is an automated reminder to let you know that this invoice is overdue. Um, please let me know if you have any if you're having any problems paying it, or um, maybe the payment there was a problem with it. So yeah, just let me know if you have paid it. Um, it just it's a bit less rambly than that, but you know it's, <laughs> it, it's an automated one, so I don't have to kind of have the stress of writing to them saying, oh, you know, this invoice, I would really like it if you paid it. (laughs) Um, And that way they don't feel so embarrassed, I think. Yeah, but I find it much better to pick up the phone. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is just if if it's unpaid for like three days. Yeah, It's just a little reminder. But, you know, if it's any more than that, then then I do get kind of a lot more... um, It's all too easy to send an email and it's, it's, you know, you, you, you feel safer sending an email, um, rather than picking up the phone. Cause I mean, I'm, I, I hate confrontation. I hate confrontation yeah. of any kind. Um, and it's when, when you've got, when you could be on the losing end of a bit of confrontation, um, it makes it even, makes you even less likely to want to kind of engage in it. Yeah. Um, but just picking up the phone, um, and talking to somebody, um, and doing that as often as possible, mm. keeping that kind of communication. I know it's uncomfortable, but yeah. I've, had, I've that, had better results. I mean, because of most of the clients I work for, it's kind of, you know, it's, a, it's an accounting team who's who's dealing with my invoices. It's not like I can phone up um, the client and say, oh, there's been a problem with my invoice. They'd say, oh, talk to the accounting team. So I don't know the people there. Um, so most of the time it's just they've they've, you know, the invoices kind of slipped through the net or... Um, there's been a problem with the payment. That way it's kind of, I don't have to worry about the stress of sending that email, but it's also, it's just a little nudge. It is useful to get to know the person in accounts though. Ah. (laughs) I mean, we've been in situations where we've been waiting to be paid something and you actually do get through to the person in the accounts department rather than your contact in production or wherever they work. And they go, oh, no, we haven't had that one signed off yet. And you go, okay, so the problem is actually with the guy that I've been working with. And, right, you know, now yeah. I need to go back in and, you know, intervene, make sure that that thing gets paid. Um, we had one regular agreement with uh, with a client that stipulated a, a short period of time for payment. And they paid consistently late. And in mm-hmm. the end, we we spoke to the accounts department and they went, oh, no, we weren't aware of that arrangement. We'll, we'll, we'll adjust your payment terms on the computer so you get paid quicker now. Oh, nice. Um, so, yeah, get to know the people in accounts. Send them a yeah. box of chocolates at Christmas if it's oh. a regular <laughs> Yeah, or never, it never, ha- never hurts to do things like that. Yeah. I tell you what, finishing off that story about the, the debt collection email, um, the same client um, ultimately... Um, ultimately became a problem and you can only use an email like that once really yeah you can only kind of twing somebody's heartstrings once um and if the relationship has broken down to such an extent and you you've done everything that you can do you've 
kept the communication lines open. You've tried to help them as many times as you can. And for whatever reason, the relationship's broken down to a point where it's, it's now unrepairable. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to work for that person again. Yeah. Maybe they're not going to ask you to work for them again. Maybe if they did ask you, you always be thinking in the back of your mind, are they going to be unreliable? Mm. Um, if the relationship is, and the trust is broken down to that extent, then there's no, um, there's nothing to do at all. There's no harm, um, in thinking to yourself, okay, that's done now. I need to do everything possible that I can to get what I'm owed. Yeah. And this is where, um, and again, I'm not ashamed to say we've done this in the past. We've hired debt collection agencies. <laughs> and, you know, if it's got to the point where the only way that you're going to get your money is, as I jokingly say in the contract killer, hiring a man with a big dog, then go hire a man with a big dog. We have. Um, you know, we, that, that particular client, we hired a debt collection agency in his hometown purposefully. Mm-hmm. So that when he got the letters and everything from that debt collection agency, he realized that, you know, they were just down the road. Yeah. Um, rather than, you know, some kind of remote company. And that's really effective. Hiring a debt collector as close to them as, as humanly possible. Um, that really worked for us. And yeah, sure, the debt collection agency is going to take a little chunk of that. But they're going to handle everything for you for that. You know, if it means going to the small claims court or, you know, suing the guy to get your money, they're going to handle all of that for you. Yeah. Obviously for, for the percentage that you've agreed. And it's well worth doing. The thing not to do is to, again, let those problems take you away from doing the thing that you do yeah. that brings the money in. Um, so what if it costs... 500 pound off your outstanding bill to to get paid for the debt collection people to do their work that's money well spent that's a day's work that you don't have to think about all this stuff yeah so you know i don't i don't do any decorating anymore and i certainly wouldn't repair my roof i'd hire a professional um Mm. and i don't i don't service my own car because you can't anymore um and and i wouldn't think about chasing debts myself either you know, if it gets to that point where, where you need a professional, hire a professional. I guess it's also no a bit less stressful. You don't have to kind of be the one hassling them. You can get someone else to do it. Yeah. And it's, it's better for your energy and it's better for your peace of mind. And ultimately, they'll probably get better results anyway than you would yourself. So there's no shame in that. You know, stuff happens. People are people. And sometimes it doesn't work out. Um, and you just need to plan for that. Mm. I mean, obviously we, we, we don't want situations like that to happen. We want to do everything that we can to keep good relationships. Um, but good relationships are two way. Um, and if one person isn't involved in that relationship anymore and they're not going to pay you, then you need to do whatever you need to do. Yeah. So that you can work with the clients that you do want to work with. Yeah, Exactly. Because, yeah, other people shouldn't be penalised for, you know, a bad payer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, I know that people don't like talking about money, but it's money that keeps us doing what we're doing. You know, it allows us to, to do what we're doing. And we talked a little bit about this last week in terms of charging enough so that you're going to be around in two years' time to support the people that you're working for. Mm-hmm. So as much as we don't like to deal with the business side of things often, we'd much rather be twiddling with some bezier curves or fiddling with a bit of html this stuff's this stuff's equally as important yeah should we wrap it up then button it up button it up so you can ask questions and suggest topics at unfinished.bz and on twitter at unfinishedbz. we have emails now too so you can email andy at he has at unfinished.bz and anna at she has at unfinishedbusiness.bz and you can reach us both at they have at unfinished.bz. <laughs> I know it's tough. You can also follow Andy, he's at Malarkey, and me, I'm Anna underscore Debenham on Twitter. So we'd like to say thanks again to our fantastic sponsor, that's Hammer for Mac. 
the app that speeds up your workflow by compiling SAS and CoffeeScript while allowing you to use includes and clever paths and variables right there in your HTML and so much more, so much more. You can support the show by supporting them. Go to hammerformac.com slash unfinished. See you next week. See you next week.